Um, Scott, um, Pastor Scott, uh, was uh, passing around some um, dad jokes on our family. Uh, we call it the fam jam uh, for the Manuel family, and here's a couple of them. Uh, if the internet had a boat, where would they park it? In Google Docs. I just found out that my electric toothbrush is not waterproof. I was shocked. <laughs> and this one I'm not sure about, so forgive me. My wife just tripped and fell while carrying a bunch of clothes she just folded. I watched it all unfold. <laughs> Let's stand together. If you're visiting with us today, we are glad you're with us for baptism. It's such a glorious day when it's baptism. And uh, we are in the story, which is a journey of 31 weeks from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, today we're looking at the beginning of the end is the title, but 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. I'm where I'm going to wear. I'm going to read the blue and you're going to read the white. And this is what it says in a minute. Here we go. In the twelfth year of in the twelfth year of Ahaz king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Uh, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been uh, Shalmaneser's vassal and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to Soking of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hola and goes on on the Haber River and in the towns of the Medes. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the land had driven out before them as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. And the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to, watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They, went, they set up sacred stones and Asherah poles and on every high hill and under every spreading tree. And at every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statues he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. Well done. You notice that second slide is where you really catch it. You're really good at there. Father, we pause today to thank you again for this glorious service and for these glorious baptisms. 
but especially to thank you for your tremendous exhibition of love in Jesus Christ and for the work of the Spirit that makes it all applicable, possible, and available in our lives. Lord, we ask now that you, that same Holy Spirit, would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and particularly, Lord, to be able to live out what it means to be Christ's followers, not on this property, but Lord, in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, and our families, where we go to school, where we go to work, and where we get our recreation, and where we buy our services. Lord, that you would help us to live out what it means to be your people in physical, tangible, and meaningful ways. May Christ be praised, and in his name we ask these things. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Want to welcome Steve Albin today. Uh, Steve had a stroke a number of weeks ago, and um, he is here today, and we're just delighted to have him. And I know he's embarrassed to tears that I mentioned that, but we've been praying for Steve, and we want to continue to pray for Steve and um, that God will restore him to complete wholeness and health. In our text, in our text today, we are given the reason for the fall of the kingdom of Israel. This is the beginning of the end because it's the first stage of a two-stage process. In 47 years from the time of our text, the Babylonians will come and they will attack Judah and they will destroy Jerusalem and the captivity of God's people will be complete and the kingdom will be no more. And we are told these words in verse 7 that all these things took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. And they did so in at least three ways. First of all, they violated the commandments, particularly the first commandment, because they read and we read in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second thing that they did is that they lost sight of their mission. Their mission was the same as ours. They were to show the nations around them what a nation in relationship with God looked like and how they acted. The same way in which you and I are Christ followers, we're to show people around us what it means to be a people in relationship with God and what it means to be Christ followers. But of course, they didn't do that and instead they lost their witness and the sign and the symbol of the fact that they were this nation. And the third thing that we notice here is that they practice what we call religious synchronization. What that simply means is this, they blended together and amalgamated with the worship of Jehovah, of Yahweh, of God, the God who brought them out of Egypt. They mingled together and mixed together and amalgamated other practices of other belief systems and they became corrupt. A good illustration of this actually is in later in our chapter where it says in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses, verse 33, they worship the Lord but they also serve their own gods in a custom with the custom, sorry, in accordance with the custom of the nation from which they had been brought. And then, and then as we move along in our text, we come to 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15, there's an unusual and a troublesome statement. It says this, and they followed worthless idols, and they themselves became worthless. 
I don't know about you, but the word worthless to me is troublesome. It's unusual. To say that a group of people, a family nation has become worthless, that's a strong statement. And in order to understand it, I think we need to see that in the Old Testament, we read of Israel as they are leaving their God and abandoning their God and they're getting into idol worship, they are portrayed this way. They are portrayed as having ears, but not hearing, of having eyes, but not seeing, and having hearts, but not understanding. We read that in the passage in Psalm 115 where it says, but their idols are silver and gold and made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those, and here it is, those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. This violation or this statement in various ways is repeated again in Psalm 135. It is repeated in Isaiah chapter 6. And Jesus has his own variation of this. And he's borrowing from this text in Psalm chapter 35. When he says in Matthew as he's, as he's preaching the parables. He says to them whoever has ears to hear. In Revelation to the seven churches. Over and over again, seven times, Jesus says through the, through the disciple John to the seven churches, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a variation of what Psalm 135 says. So in our text, Israel, Jacob's family nation, have become worthless because they have become like the gods they worship. They resemble the gods that they revere. In other words, they have lost their spiritual perception. They too, like the gods that they serve, their idols, they have ears but do not hear. They have eyes but do not see, having hearts but do not understand. And what this tells us is simply this. That God punishes us in like manner to our sin. God made you and I. He made us, human beings, to reflect him. If we do not commit ourselves to him, then we end up reflecting not God, but something else. At our core, we human beings, you and I, we are imaging creatures. And it is impossible for us to be neutral on this issue. We either reflect our creator or we reflect not God, but we reflect something else in creation. In other words, we become what we worship. We eventually resemble what we revere. 
In other words, what this means is that we are judged and we are punished by being made to resemble what we revere. We begin to resemble the lifeless nature of what or who it is that we worship. We become without spiritual perception, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to understand. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We become enabled to have spiritual understanding and spiritual perception. We have ears but cannot hear. We have eyes but cannot see. We have hearts but we do not understand because we have been come like the thing that we worship and we revere and we adore rather than becoming like our creator, our God. But while many people go that way, we have to remember this. All is not lost. Because God always has a reserve that is tucked away. My mother, um, she had a... um, I didn't know this until older. I guess she didn't tell me because she'd probably think I would ask her for it and bug her for it. Uh, But she would always tuck a few hundred dollars away in the back of her wallet just for an emergency, just in case something happened and she needed some cash. Well, let me tell you, God has some things some people tucked away. And one of the great examples of this tucked awayness by God comes from Elijah. Now, we cannot really move out of 2 Kings without talking a little bit more about Elijah. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 8, we're, we're told the story about what happens after the showdown that we talked about last week on Mount Carmel and how that Elijah is afraid of Jezebel because she is going to skin him alive when she gets him, so he's on the run. And when we catch up to him in the scriptures, we catch up to him at a place called Beersheba and where foolishly he does something that he shouldn't have done. He leaves his servant and goes on alone. We all know that we cannot practice our faith alone. We cannot practice our faith in isolation. And then we find him under the broom tree after he is alone for a period of time and he's almost suicidal. And we read in 1 Kings 19.4 and he says to God, I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever been there? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Well, the truth is that he is no better than his ancestors. He really is not. We're all sinful and broken, but that's not the point. This has left him. After the victory at Mount Carmel, he is left hungry and he's angry and he's lonely and he's tired and he's emotionally and physically and mentally spent. He is exhausted. And a month later, a month later, we catch up to him again and again. And in 1 Kings 19, 8 and 9, we read these words. And he traveled 40 days and 40 nights, a month and 10 days, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. So we know Horeb, right? 
We know Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the mountain of God. It is Mount Sinai. And the cave is the cave of Moses, where Moses lived while he was up on the mountain for 40 days. So he's at Horeb, he's at Sinai, and he's in the cave of Moses. And then comes one of the most familiar stories in the entire Bible, the mountain scene. Where God comes in the form of a wind, and he comes in the form of an earthquake, and he comes in the form of fire, And then there is a whisper. And the whisper asks this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah goes into this rant. And he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Poor Elijah, he's having a pity party. And he's a little self-righteous. He's having a Mount Carmel meltdown. And God responds, Elijah, Elijah, relax, wake up and smell the chaos. You're not alone. You're never alone. And neither are we. First Kings says, God says, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him, 7,000 silent saints, 7,000 sentinels, 7,000 voices tucked away. God always has a reserve. God will always have a reserve, a remnant. We are never alone. Ever. It just feels like it sometimes. But what are we to do when we feel like this? What are we to do when we feel like everything is coming apart at the seams and we feel like we're the only one left? Well, there's a rhetorical question in Psalms 11 that sort of helps us. In Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, ask this question about what we can do when the foundations are being destroyed. What can the righteous do? And then the question comes back and it answers its own question in verse four and it says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. What that means is simply this, that God is sovereign. We can trust in God. When the foundations are being destroyed and we feel like we're all alone, we can trust God because he rules and he reigns. And because he rules and reigns, there is no end of the possibilities. And the psalmist goes on and says that God is watching. He's paying attention. 
He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them as the Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. You see, God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He is the all-knowing. He is the all-seeing God. Nothing and no one escapes the scrutinizing eye of God. Everything is under his surveillance. And if you don't believe that, then listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And depending on who we are, And where we stand, that's good news and that's bad news because it goes on and says that God rewards accordingly on the wicked. He will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur on a scorching wind will be their lot for the right, the Lord is righteous. He loves justice and the upright will see his face. Now, I know, I know that some of us in the room and some of us watching online, we struggle with this business of God's judgment, of God's wrath. Well, let me just tell you, wrath is a consequence and not a characteristic or attribute of God. It's a consequence. But what can we do? Well, the first thing that we can do is we can do what the prophet Isaiah did. Isaiah had a similar experience as Elijah had and other people have and we have at times. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 that in the year that King Uzziah died. Now King Uzziah was a good and bad king. He was king for 23 years. But when he died there was a significant change. And what Isaiah did in the light and in the wake of Uzziah's death, King Uzziah's death, his great advice for us, he took his thoughts and he took his concerns to the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You see... When we have trouble and when we feel like we're alone and when we feel like everybody else is abandoned and we, that things are falling apart, we can take our concerns and our thoughts and we can bring them into the presence of God. The same way in which Isaiah did. He took his concerns to God and as a result of it had an overwhelming, terrifying and glorious vision of who God is. What can we do? We can do what King Hezekiah did. King Hezekiah gets news that the king of Babylon is coming and he is going to thump Israel, or rather Judah, and he is going to destroy Jerusalem. And he sends messengers and says to them, don't put your hope in God because God is not going to be able to save your necks this time. And we read in Isaiah chapter 37 when Hezekiah, King Hezekiah got the letter. He did this. 
Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple. He went into the presence of God. And he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. Sometimes we just have to spread it out before the Lord. You know what to do with those immigration letters? Spread them out before the Lord. You know what to do with that medical report? Spread it out before the Lord. Do you know what to do with your marriage certificate? Spread it out before the Lord. You know what to do with your children's birth, of your children's birth certificate and their dedication certificate? Spread it out before the Lord. We have concerns. And we can put in whatever our concern is. Spread them out before the Lord. And listen to what he says. Jeremiah tells us, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. God hears. And God sees. He knows our groaning. He knows our news. I've been reading through the book of Exodus this week. And I'm at the part where Moses has been called and Aaron has been called and they go to the people of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, we hear this. And during those days, many of the kings of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And the Lord heard her groaning. And God remembered his covenant to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And in verse 25 of chapter 2, we read these words. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. God saw and God knew. All over the room, what is it? What is it that is your greatest concern? And I think if you have a great concern this morning, if we have a great concern this morning, we need to do what Isaiah did and bring it into the presence of God. We need to do what King Hezekiah did. We need to bring it into the presence of God and spread it out. Because God sees and God knows. Steve Albin You're not alone. God sees and God knows. Bill and Carrie, God sees and God knows. 
about Kim. God sees and God knows. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I want you to stand to your feet for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And I don't know, maybe you got the paper in your purse or in your wallet or in your pocket. And whatever it is, I want you to take it out and I just want you, and if you don't have it, I want you to imagine that it's in your hands. Your marriage license. Your adult children's birth certificate or baby dedication. That medical report. That immigration letter. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hold your hands out like this, like you're holding a piece of paper. And if you got the piece of paper, hold it. And whatever it is, something I haven't even mentioned, but it's dear and it's a concern to you. Put your hands like this and just hold it out in the presence of God. To the God who sees and the God who knows. And let those words penetrate into your heart and into our minds and into the deepest recesses of our soul and our heart. God sees and God knows. He sees and he knows. Father, I'm so thankful that you're a God who sees and knows. Lord, even before we spread out these documents in your presence and we bear the palms of our hands to you as if the document were in our hands, you already saw and you already knew. But today, Lord, as an act of faith, as a statement of, I will trust the Lord for he rules and he reigns. You are greater than any disease. You are greater than any government official. You are greater than any lawyer that says, this is the end. Lord, you are greater than the lies of the enemy who says there's no hope. Because death does not have the final word. Resurrection has the final word. Darkness may stay the night, but joy comes with the breaking of dawn. And Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that resurrection and the breaking of dawn would be our portion. Would be our portion. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. And we ask that by the Holy Spirit that you would pour steel into our backbones to give us confidence and to stand up straight and to be counted for you. You are the Lord. You're the God who sees 
and knows. Hallelujah. He's the God who sees and the God who knows. Say it with me. He's the God who sees and the God who knows. Say it again. He's the God who sees and the God who knows. One more time. He's the God who sees and the God who knows. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Amen. Amen. We give him praise. Lift it up. Come on. All over the room, let's give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 May his name be praised. Amen, church. Go with God because he loves you more than anything in the world.